As Joshua mentioned, I will be speaking on salvation and I will be speaking the next three weeks, including today. And so the way I split up salvation is we'll be looking at the need for salvation. And then we'll look at the why or the how of salvation. And lastly, we'll look at the goal for salvation. Just to start off, the definition of salvation in the in a Christian perspective is the transformation of a person's individual nature and relationship with God as a result of repentance and faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. All humanity stands in need of salvation, which is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And as I had mentioned, today we're going to look at the need. Why do we need salvation? Why do we need this man, Jesus Christ, who is also God, to come down and die for us, to atone for our sins. As any other systematic theology doctrine, there are a certain number of assumptions or there are a certain number or there's amount of groundwork that we have to lay before proceeding. And our brother is going to be looking at the doctrine of the Word of God in four weeks from now. And when we look at that, we will see that the Bible has the final authority in our lives. It is the standard by which we compare all things. We see that it has the same authority today just as God's communication in biblical times. For example, it's, it has the same standard as the manifestation of God as a person, that is Jesus. It is, has the same authority as God's speech, basically his decrees and his direct speech to man. It has the same standard as his words spoken through his prophets. It holds the same authority as his written word, like the Ten Commandments. And what we will see is that the Bible is inerrant. Basically, that means the Bible is accurate and it's totally free of error. And so basically the point of me saying this is that as we read and we understand the Bible, anything that we read from the Bible, it is 100% completely true and dependable. Knowing that of the Bible and as we read the Bible, the Bible teaches us certain things about God. We learn that God is the root of all things. We learn from the Bible that God exists and that He is sovereign over all creation. We learn some of His attributes, namely His independence, His unchangeability, His, his omniscience, His omnipotence, his, that He is invisible, that He is perfect. We also see that He is love, that He is the standard of wisdom of truth, of goodness. We understand that God is perfect and that He is a holy God. And being holy comes with the fact that He cannot tolerate sin. We see that He is a righteous and He is a demanding being. So we saw that the Bible is true. What we read from the Bible, we can trust. And when we read the Bible, we see that God is a holy God. He's a just God. There is no wrong in him. And as we continue reading the Bible, the Bible teaches us that man, all of us, we were created in the image of God. We were supposed to be his image bearers. We were supposed to bring glory to his name. But unfortunately, as we read in the book of Genesis, we see that the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. 
And through their selfishness, through, through their lack of trust, they went against what God had commanded them to do. When we read Genesis 2 verses 15 and 16, we know that God's command for Adam was to work and keep the garden. And he specifically told Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then Adam violated the law. He ate of the fruit. At that point, he fell from righteousness. And that was the fall of man. That was the point at which sin entered the human race in the Garden of Eden through an attack of Satan. Adam and Eve doubted God's word. They went, they went against God. And that is how sin came into being. And like all our actions, those had severe consequences. Their sin affected them badly. God rightly judged their rebellion. He brought a curse on them. And unfortunately, which is a matter of debate amongst a lot of people, that curse didn't stop with them. Paul explains that Adam's sin has affected all humankind in the following manner. This is Romans 5 verse 12. It says, Therefore sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Paul says death spread to all men because all sinned, he means that God sees us all as having sinned when Adam disobeyed God. Because technically, the whole of mankind was in Adam when he sinned. And so his sin or his guilt was imputed to all of mankind that came after him, that exists now and even before. And to give you an example of what imputed means, I'm just using big terms to sound smart, but what impute, to impute means, to give you an example, a son who goes to college to study has no money. He calls his dad and his dad, he calls his dad for some money and his dad goes to the bank, puts some money into the account and then the son has access to that money. Even though that money is not the son's, because the father shared it with the son, because it was given to him to use, it is his. And in some way, that is the idea of Adam's sin being imputed to us. Because of Adam's sin, spiritual and physical death passed to all men. And all men now, men and women, when they are naturally born of Adam's seed, when they come into this world, they come in spiritually dead. They come with an innate hatred and hostility towards God. They come in with a depraved soul. They come in not loving God, but loving sin instead. Genesis 8.21, the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Psalms 51 verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalms 58 verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray, and as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. John chapter 3 verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Ephesians 2 verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath. And so when we read scripture, we see that Adam's sin and its consequences, that is the guilt, the punishment, the spiritual death, the moral corruption, leaves every person completely unable to save himself or to please God because 
because of the universal rule of sin over all of mankind. There is nothing good in us. We are unable to react. We are unable to respond. And so when we think about the need for salvation, to understand it a little better, all you have to do is look at the the result of sin. How sin has affected our relationship with God. How sin has affected us. How sin has affected our relationship with the people around us. If you look at the effect of sin on our relationship with God, and you can spend hours and hours studying this topic, but just two verses in the Bible captures it all. And that is Isaiah 51. It says, Behold, oh sorry, Isaiah 59 verses 1 to 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save or his ear dull, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In that situation, the people are asking, why does God not help them? Why does he not listen to their pleas? Why doesn't he fulfill the prophecies that he has, he has prophesied and promised them about? And while they pray to their God, at the same time they are complaining. And then finally, Isaiah comes and tells them, you think it is because God has no power? You think it is because God doesn't hear you? It is because of your sin. And that phrase in verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, that's the same verse, that's the same phrase that is used only once in the Bible, and that is in Genesis 1 verse 6, when God was creating the world. God said, let there be an expanse to separate the waters from above and below, so that there is no intermingling between the two waters. And it's the same way. Because of our sin, we are unable to have any sort of connection with God. Those sins are a barrier between people and God. But He is holy. And I said, and as, as I said before, the only thing that can keep us from Him is that sin. John says the same thing. If we think we can have a relationship with God while living in sin, he reminds us that we are badly mistaken. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, he explicitly says, sin separates us from God. Sin has caused God to look at us in disfavor. You look at the Old Testament, you see God talking about the way he hates Israel for her sin. In Psalms 5, verse 5, we read about his hatred for the wicked. It doesn't mean that he, that he hates the person because if you look at it, majority, it's, God, it's, it's, it's talking about God hating the wickedness that is prevalent. He hates the wrong that is being done. And the Bible is clear that his hate is not one-sided. If you look at it, because the wicked are described as people who hate God. The wicked are people who do not want to be righteous. And so it's not that it's a natural response of God, hatred. It, it, it really isn't. It is just the way he would react by default when a holy God comes in contact with sinful people. And sometimes we see that God looks with favor upon Israel sometimes, and then he looks upon Israel with disfavor sometimes, and we think God is, an, uh, is a changing God, that he's inconsistent, but not really. 
God has indicated quite clearly that he cannot and does not tolerate certain things. It is part of his holy nature to be opposed to sinful actions. And when we engage in, some, some acts, in such actions, we have moved in the, into the territory of God's disfavor. We are doing it ourselves. In the case of Adam and Eve, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was off limits. It was clear. It was concise. God himself spoke to Adam and told him. And God told them what the effect would be if they did go against God. But they still chose, as it were, to become enemies of God, to fall into the domain of his disapproval. And because of Adam's sin, all of mankind are born into this domain of God's disapproval because we are born in sin. We are guilty of going against God when we begin to exist. Because of the break in relationship that Adam caused, because of the guilty nature that has come about due to Adam, we start off on the wrong foot with God. Then sin causes God to punish man for his rebellion. God warned Adam and Eve that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. And in Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. Death being the ultimate punishment for sin. Therefore, because the Bible says that death is the just wage for sinning, against God. And death can be understood in three ways. One is the physical. Second is the spiritual death. And lastly, it's the eternal death. And the physical death, or the physical death, is the clearest indicator of the mortality of man, of how limited we are. We will cease to breathe one day. Our bodies will return to dust. Hebrews 9.27 says man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 attributes death to the original sin of Adam which spread to all human beings. And we can see that in Genesis 3 the physical bodies of Adam and Eve changed drastically. After they sinned, after they were sent out of the garden of Eden, they were condemned to till the soil. God said that they would return to dust. Their bodies were also now subject to the degenerative effect of aging and diseases. And so death is not really a one-time event, but it is a continuous aspect of our physical lives. Spiritual death is different from physical... uh, Spiritual death is different from physical death. Spiritual death is the separation of the entire person, the body and the spirit from God, since God is holy. Because He's holy, He can't tolerate the presence of sin in his midst. Sin is thus a hindrance to the spiritual fellowship of man with God, replacing the trust and friendship found in the Garden of Eden with judgment and condemnation. And the immediate death that came to Adam and Eve was not the physical death, because we read that Adam lived for 900 or so years. But what happened immediately was that separation and alienation from God. And because of that, the whole of the human race that came after Adam were in that, situ- in, in, in that state. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually disconnected from God. They were born dead in their trespasses and sins, and they were born guilty. And we were born with 
And we, would, we couldn't be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings. And then comes the scarier version of death, the eternal death. And eternal death is considered as the, final, the, the, the finalization of spiritual death. Because eternal death is the final, well basically, everyone has one life to live. Everyone has that one life to accept Christ, to accept the payment that Jesus paid on the cross. If a person is spiritually dead when he physically dies, he will be eternally separated from God when, when he stands in front of God on Judgment Day. However, if a righteous person does accept, if he's spiritually alive before he dies physically, then he has nothing to worry about the eternal death. What we see here is, or what I've been trying to say till now is, because of Adam's sin, his guilt, his punishment, all of that bad stuff was imputed to us. And it has completely affected our relationship with God. Sin has completely cut us off from God. We cannot understand what God wants. We cannot comprehend who God is. We cannot understand scripture without him. We are incapable of doing good to even a fellow human being. We are unable to love. We cannot speak good things about people. And then looking at the effect of sin on the sinner. Sin usually takes the form of of a habit or an addiction. We hear people of being addicted to drugs and alcoholism, etc. But the natural man is addicted to sin itself. And that's why Jesus says what he says in John chapter 3, verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. By the natural law, we love doing the wrong thing. That is before we accepted Christ. Sin causes the natural man to be insensitive to his conscience, to God, to scriptures, and to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When we first commit a particular sin, we feel the guilt. We feel our consciousness, our conscience talking to us. But then as we slowly do that sin again and again, we become a little less sensitive to our conscience. It becomes a little more easier to do the wrong thing. And if we go down that path, sin only causes us to reject the truth that is revealed in Scripture and ultimately it, it makes us deny the very existence of the Son and the deity of His Son. Sin not only makes us insensitive to God and our conscience but also to those around us. We become self-centered. We don't think about the other person but instead we rationalize the importance of our own wants. If you look at it, if you analyze it closely, sin is ultimately the root of all dissatisfaction. Be it with life, be it with wealth, be it with people. The pleasures of sin cannot, can become so monotonous that after a while, causing us to sin more and more, we do that willfully just so that we can feel some kind of happiness, some small amount of happiness. Material goods and wealth, we accumulate it 
until we are numb to its effects. Our love for friends and family can be tainted by their failure to meet our standards, however unreasonable they may be. That is, a, that is the effect of sin on sinners. And then if you look at the sin's effect on other people, we, we, we cannot empathize with people's needs, with their desires. We don't want to look from their perspectives. We don't want to understand where they come from. It is only about me, me, me. Sin has led us to live our lives very competitively. Life is a rat race for us. We go by comparing ourselves to other people. That is how we measure our successes, by hoping that somebody is not successful. We, we, we want people to fail so that we can feel good. That is why James says in John, James chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet. But you cannot have what you want. And so you quarrel and fight. To summarize a bit, there were severe consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. And God was right to judge them. God was right to bestow punishment upon them and all of mankind that followed. The curse brought physical and spiritual death. It separated us from God. It alienated us from Him and from other people. All people are now conceived and born and they are all live in this depraved condition. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is Paul's words in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. Inherited guilt and corruption leaves every person completely unable to save himself. We cannot save ourselves. Before Christ came into our lives, if we continued the way we lived, we would be eternally separated from God. We would not have a relationship with Him. We cannot love. We cannot understand love. We cannot understand wisdom. We cannot understand the finer things in life. We will not have peace. And so if God is very holy, if He's righteous and if He's a demanding being, then we humans are not able to satisfy Him easily. And so applying logic in this situation. So logically... If we have to understand, something has to be done on our behalf if we are to be right with God. If we are not to be eternally separated from Him. And from what we were seeing, when we see from sin, humanity is totally depraved. And because humanity is depraved, there is nothing we can do. No, ma- no matter how much we try, no, ma- no matter how much knowledge we seek, no matter no matter how hard we try, and no matter the, um, the amount of good works that we do, nothing is good enough. And when we looked at the study of God the Son, Jesus Christ, we saw that He was the perfect and only solution. Because we are human beings, we needed another human being to pay for our sins. But it couldn't be anyone from humanity because everyone is born from Adam's seed. Whoever was born of Adam's seed was corrupt. And so the only solution was God coming down as man. 
He is our solution. He is the eternal, pre-existent second person of the Trinity. He is God possessing all the attributes of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. To his deity, humanity was added. Which means, that doesn't mean that he put aside his deity or he stopped being God. All that means is, his independent exercise of his divine attributes was put on hold. Because he was always under the will of the Father. We saw how he was a perfect, complete human being and so his atoning death is applicable to all human beings. And we're going to look at the physics behind that in the next week. And he was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He is the solution. The need for salvation is because we are destined or we were destined to be eternally separated from God. Because, because of Adam's sin. We were destined to be lost. We were destined to not have peace. We were destined to be sad. All of us have gone through troubles in our lives. All of us have not been in the right state of mind. And we think that the feelings that we have gone through, the emotions that we have felt, the tears that we have shed, we've, we sometimes feel that is the ultimate that we have faced. Or that is the worst that can happen. Imagine hell, how much worse hell would be when you are separated from God. That is the need for our salvation. Where God intervenes with his sovereign, gracious, saving power because mankind is totally unable to repent or trust Christ. Because we are unable to see or enter the kingdom of God. Because we are unable to obey God and therefore we are unable to glorify God. We are unable to attain spiritual understanding because of our sin. We are unable to live lives pleasing to God. And by ourselves we are unable to receive eternal or spiritual life. And so God ran behind us. Offering the perfect solution. So that we may accept him. The only application that I could provide for this is for my own personal experience in the past couple of weeks. For Christians, that is. We say that we are saved. And sometimes we become complacent. We take for granted the salvation that has been given to us. And because of that, we lose focus. We forget that sin is an ever-present danger waiting at our doorstep. And we fall. We fall because we lose sight of what's important. We we forget that the need for salvation was for us. So that is my application that we would that we would remember that we would always focus on the cross that we would remember that we would not be quick to judge those who do not know Christ those who live in this world because at one point we were also like them and if we're not careful if we are not in Christ it is so easy to slip it is so easy to backslide
And so for the Christian, the application is that we would not let the worries of the world, the things that we have to do are our errands or our chores or the pursuit of money or happiness, happiness from the world that is, let us not be bogged down by that. But that we would look for happiness where it matters, in our God. That we would not depend on other people for happiness, that we would not depend on wisdom or peace or understanding from other human beings or, or the pleasures of this world, but that we would focus on God. Because I have accepted Christ's payment on the cross does not make me a better human being than you. We all stand condemned. We all sin. But my earnest prayer is, especially for me, is that I would live as Jesus commanded, that we would be perfect because our Holy Father is perfect. For those that do not know Christ, spend time and look at why, why Jesus Christ had to come down and die? Because you are on a path where there is no return. Once judgment is passed, it is passed. And so we pray that you would accept Jesus Christ, you would see what he has done for you before it's too late. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that when we did not know what to do, when we were unable to save ourselves, when we could do nothing, yet while we were your enemies, you still offered a solution so that we were able to have a relationship with you. You offered a way out so that we would not be forever separated from you. We thank you for the opportunity you have given to us to have a future with you, to be with you, to worship at your feet, to fellowship with one another, to have the peace that only you can give. And we pray that we would not lose sight of that fact, that we would never forget that we are still living in a sinful world, that we are still in bodies where the new spirit you have given us is battling our old sinful flesh. Help us not to forget that sin is very real reality, that we would depend on you for strength, that we would look at you for strength. That our salvation would be always on our mind every day. And that would prompt us to want to save our neighbor who does not have the privilege of knowing you. Help us not to be complacent with what we have. Help us not to be complacent in our homes, in our jobs. Help us not to be comfortable just because our bank balances are good. Help us to be like our Father in heaven. Amen. Help us day by day to conform to the image 
of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit through whom we understand your word and that we are able to understand spiritual matters and that we are able to communicate with you. Forgive me for my sins, Heavenly Father. I pray that does not come in the way of your word being preached to your people. We pray for our church members, we pray for our brothers and sisters, we pray for those who do not know you especially, that you would use us in whatever way you seem fit. We thank you for this opportunity. This we ask in the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.